0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winnerty and today I'm talking to Harrison Ellenshaw, the incredibly talented matte artist for the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. We dive deep into the matte painting process and talk about his incredible filmography, including Tron, the Black Hole, and The Man Who Fell to Earth this is talking Bay 94 episode 18 Harrison Ellenshaw oh yeah and uh the the stories and the behind the scenes of, of everything is is some of my favorite stuff so uh and you're you're one of the legends of it so i'm 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 literally just grinning so hard just even talking to you so uh I'm excited for this
1: <laughs> it's been a it's been a charmed life for me and I'm very lucky I was in fact, talking to somebody the other day, a good friend, and I said, you know, I, I look back now that I'm uh, not as young as I once was, and I, I just can't believe how I was. I was so fortunate. It's circumstances. Uh, I never had to go looking for for stuff. I, it just kind of showed up, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's. It, I, I'm extremely grateful, happy every day for for my life and uh, just gives me chills. So I appreciate uh, that you understand that. It's very important. Of course.
0: Well, I would love to talk first about how you got into this life. Uh, It was a family business even, and it was super interesting for me to kind of Delving even deeper, I would love to hear a little bit about your family and and how they were also kind of in this in this line of work.
1: As most people know, my father Peter Ellen Shaw, was in the in the film business, and he was a production designer and had been uh, a mad artist and a visual effects supervisor and second unit director. So he was. Uh, He was a very uh, fortunate man and also here as a gallery artist. I I, I grew up around that kind of atmosphere my uh, grandfather was uh walter percy day and he had basically been one of the pioneers of of uh, visual effects special effects miniatures on all sorts of movies going back into the black and white days in in, in england and also in france for a while and had worked on abogance's napoleon so I definitely had it uh I guess you could say in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, which can be a little bit intimidating uh, because I didn't uh, initially, I didn't want to go in into following those footsteps because they were so big. Uh, I couldn't fill those shoes in my view. But when I, uh, when I got out of the Navy in 19, uh, late 1970, uh, there were no real jobs for uh, somebody who had gotten a bachelor's degree in psychology in Southern California. And I, I couldn't find a job that I really, I, I wanted. I mean, there were some, it seemed like very boring jobs that were available. But even then, I wasn't guaranteed mm-hmm. that I, I'd get a job. And I was becoming somewhat frustrated. My father said to me, he had long since retired from the film business, although he would come back again and to work on projects. And he said, well, you know, the man who took over the mat department at Disney, uh, Alan Maley, and I met Alan Maley, can't find new mat artists because uh, nobody wants to paint that restrictively. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to paint like a photograph. At least that's what the complaint always seems to be. So whenever he goes to art schools and says, uh, we have an opportunity at Disney Studios, it received, you know, just kind of blank stares, oh, no, thank you. I'm going to be a real artist. And so I I got the job almost by default and it, and I didn't didn't really want it. But because I couldn't find anything else, I thought, well, at least I have a little bit of a background and some talent and I might be able to make it. And I made a deal with Alan. I said, I'd like to go to work for you, but it'll only be for six months because then I'm going to get a real job. And if you, you know, this will be nice, nice thing to kind of know, Mm stopgap. And Alan was great. He said, okay, fine. And he really became a mentor and a role model. And though he was the head of the department and I was the new kid, he would come by every day and we'd talk about the paintings that I was doing and how I could make them better and those things. But also, he just loved movies. And he would see a movie. He'd go to the theater and see a movie at least five times a week. And I was pretty good about going to see movies, but I didn't see absolutely everything. So he'd see them very, very quickly. And he'd come in and he'd say, "Okay, I saw this movie." A great example was you, you didn't have VHS. You didn't have you had none of that access. No access to the internet. But one of the real privileges, because I was working at Disney Studios, was that you could call, the department heads could call up other studios or have somebody make arrangements to bring in print of movies, new releases. And he, he came in one day, he said, I, I saw a movie last night. He said, it's really very good, but it's very impressive, the title sequence and how the movie starts and he said i've i've called for the first reel and we're going to go up to one of the screening rooms here at at disney and i'm going to i'm going to show it to you and see what you think and it was summer of 42 i don't know if you've ever seen it it's it's quite a romantic movie it's the coming of age movie it has a score by michelle Legrand, i believe and it's beautifully made it's a very lyrical opening title sequence. And even if you look at it today, it holds up very well. Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of thing that got me even more excited about film, the magic of film, how cinematography and, and, of course, editing and camera moves and all those choices go to contribute to the story. And, of course, it reinforces that... As they say, they'll say, it's not on the page, it's not on the stage, you've got to have the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the real privilege for somebody like myself is to be able to work on helping the team fulfill the vision of the writer and the director.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is that's thrilling. It really is. I mean, you can imagine the, the, uh, the thrill of the people who worked on Star Wars. But they were, And nobody had really seen it because George was so secretive about it. He didn't show rough cuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were flying blind a little bit. But to go to the Academy Theater for the cast and crew showing three days before the film and you sit there, and that logo comes on John Williams' score, and it recedes into the distance, and you see that crawl, which makes no sense. You have no idea what what's what happening here. <laughs> uh-huh. And then the the spaceships come over, and, and in the most dramatic, you know, like great theater, over the top of the camera, and nobody bring spaceships over the top of camera they will come from underneath camera and uh, you just knew the electricity in the audience and of course they'd all had some association with the film so they wanted desperately to like it Mm -hmm. and of course there was two hours of pure joy yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm getting i'm getting a little teary myself
0: it's hard not to talk about star wars and, and not get a little teary before Star Wars even one of the projects that that really I think put you on the map to even start working on Star Wars was actually one of my personal favorites uh, the man who fell to Earth yeah uh, with David Bowie I'm sure that was a, a very interesting set to kind of be a part of what was your involvement there and, and kind of what was your experience like working on that movie
1: well again it was a situation I just kind of, it just kind of found me and I, I don't quite know why but somebody one of the uh, called up Disney and said, we're doing a movie with David Bowie and we're interested if there there is somebody there who does matte shots because n- nobody does matte paintings or matte comps in, in Hollywood and we just can't find any anybody. I think they had gone to Universal and Universal had turned it down mm-hmm. and Albert Whitlock said no and no. I don't want to do that or I don't have time to do it. I was head of the mat department and I was desperate to something other than Disney films. I wanted to work on Disney wasn't one of the six major studios. So I thought if I'm going to establish a name for myself, I've got to work on, on something that's non Disney. And so they asked if I'd be interested. And I, so I, I said, yes, of course I would. I asked the studio, the studio I said, fine, you can do whatever you like here time, but we don't want to let you go because we're working on Peace Dragon and Mm -hmm. some other stuff. And I said, well, fine, I'll do them both. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I did them both. I mean, it was I was I was very ambitious. Mm-hmm. I was very young and I was I was to do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. In a sense, I wanted to establish my own name because as long as I'm doing this, I and I've committed to it. that's how I thought at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to always be just uh, the third generation Elmshaw, second generation mm-hmm. Elmshaw. I want to be my own person and uh, eventually, I I got that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to get the brakes, and there's a lot of people that uh, would say, "Well, you have to make your own brakes." I suppose I did, because then look what happened <laughs> with Man Who Fell to Earth it was an adventure, and I was well, something I never expected mm-hmm. because I I've been used to working on the Burbank lot, doing a matte painting here and there, doing kind of old-fashioned family films. And this was, you know, I'd read the script for Man Who Fell to Earth, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea what it meant. I I went to the location, back and forth to the location, ten times. Sometimes nobody showed up on the set except the crew Mm -hmm. for a full day. Aren't the producers upset? They don't seem to be upset. (laughs) This is another world. And then the the movie came out, and I still didn't understand it. And I went back, reread the script, and still didn't understand it. But I had the credit. And I loved having that credit. And guess what? Somebody from that said, well, I guess you work on outside stuff. How about doing something for this person who did American Graffiti? What do you think? So there you go. The rest is history.
0: The rest is history. So Star Wars. So the the credit attracts the attention of some of the people producing the movie. What was kind of the process of getting you involved in that initial
1: uh, work? There, There weren't that... Many map paintings on the on the initial one. There were about a dozen, and that these days a dozen is kind of a lot. Uh, in those days, no, it wasn't that much. And I just I just loved the idea uh, of working on something that was obviously so different, a little bit mysterious. You didn't know if it was be a hit or a miss. And so I I leave Disney in, on the Burbank lot, which was old school filmmaking, go home and have dinner, or Just go right over at about six o'clock to this uh, a warehouse in Van Nuys, which was being you know converted into a a visual effects facility, and they were already doing some shots, but they really didn't have a mat department, and nothing really worked. They put Mm -hmm. the mat department on the second floor, which was a no-no because then you'd have to have a red light on downstairs so nobody'd slam a door and (laughs) the floor would vibrate. (laughs) It's like ah. Oh, yeah, right in the middle of the shot. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Can you read the sign? Don't <laughs> slam the door. Um, but it, it, was, it was it's that kind of thing that, that makes it challenging and, and memorable. And I was just happy to be a part of it. Keep in mind, I was one of the old guys. I mean, George is still a year older than I am. But Gary was a few more years old, older. But it was mostly 20-somethings. And I was in my early thirties, and so I had kids, if you will, who were going to Caltech or doing something. This was their first gig, and they would ask me, you know, questions, of, you know, almost what was it like in the old days you know five years ago (laughs) did they have color and sound (laughs) what was that like jeez you're ancient (laughs) and so there was this kind of youthful they were just happy to have have the job you know even though it was Mm -hmm. just dreary work doing roto because you know the Darth Vader had had a very shiny helmet and so all the blue screen reflected Mm -hmm. in the helmet so it was very challenging and for me coming from disney where everything was a tried and true formula going there where i was no longer new young kid now i was an old kid i was i was a seasoned veteran (laughs) it was this dichotomy (laughs) and i i I just i loved it of course i loved it if i if i didn't love it i wouldn't wouldn't have done it for 40 years or whatever it was
0: well I would love first before I kind of I have a couple individual questions about some shots, but what I would love first is for the listeners to first explain kind of the the matte painting process and and what it takes actually to film it and to kind of put that side by side with what was shot earlier during production. If you got if you can take me through it just very briefly, I think that would that would be super helpful for the the listeners to understand.
1: Well, briefly, what a matte painting is, <laughs> if you think of the most simple explanation is that you're taking two different elements. One is a painting of something that looks realistic or looks like it matches. And just for example, if there is a single-story building and the script calls for a two-story building, but the production filmmakers don't want to build a two-story building. So they build the first story and have the action take place against that, somebody coming out of the front door or whatever it might be. And then they commission a matte artist to paint. And generally, it's on glass, but doesn't have to be. The top story of the building. Now, mm-hmm. this is not a backing. This would be much smaller than a backing. Generally, Map paintings are approximately 30 inches by 40 inches or maybe a little bit wider and they can vary but it's not a big full-size backing and then it's much simpler and it's cheaper if it's done within the certain parameters of combining the top painted part of the building with the bottom part of the building sometimes you can do it on the set which is can be very complicated or sometimes you'd wait and you shoot the set first with the action and then take it back to the studio and add the top part of the building.
0: So with Star Wars, the extensions you mentioned, are there any that stick into your mind that were maybe challenging or even the ones that we might not even consider as needing extensions, at least for the original one?
1: Yes, Star, Star Wars only had... Uh, a a few map paintings by the time empire strikes back came along, we had gone from from approximately 10 to about 85. Wow. So it was, yeah, (laughs) same amount of time. Yeah. That was, that was a, that was a little more of a challenge, but nonetheless it was, it was very gratifying. Uh, But anyway, let's Mm -hmm. just take star Wars and probably the best example and the most one used is um, when Obi Wan Kenobi turns off the tractor beam, and you see him on the ledge of this great chasm that seems to go down forever. Well, he was actually about eight feet off the stage floor with a set that had, you know, had the power beam and a, tra- a tractor beam and, and the bridge and and parts of the set. And then there was a floor, and I painted basically where the floor had been and combined those two together. Mm-hmm. And it also added a few other elements, but that's not the important part. And then the, the other one that's very iconic is the final shot where our heroes received medals, except for the Wookiee, who didn't get one. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked that a number of times, and I don't know why I didn't get a medal. I thought that was very unfair. <laughs> uh, but so as, as our heroes walk away from camera toward the distant medal ceremony and the princess and the dignitaries, there is a high extension of what looked like backlight windows that are very dramatic, as well as a number of troops standing at attention on either side of the walkway. Well, the production decided to use a map painting because they didn't want to hire that many extras. So there were a few that were placed on various shots in different positions, and I painted the rest of them. And I painted the walls on the side. And it, it was the opportunity to make this set look much grander. It would have cost way too much money to build it for real.
0: I mean, if you look at those paintings and every painting that, that you work on, it's photo real, it's seamless, and it, it adds so much to to the movie and to the final shot. With Empire, you mentioned the, the jump from 10 to, to 85 shots. Yeah. Uh, what was the additional challenges? And I know that there was some ship elements and and things that were kind of added in that were also matte paintings. Uh, What was that process like? And and what was the the difference for you for for Star Wars to Empire?
1: Well, because Star Wars had been so well-received, it was only natural that there should be the intended sequel, but George wouldn't have been able to make it if Star Wars had Not been successful, and now he was able to put together what I I call the dream team. The effects were not done in a warehouse in Van Nuys. Instead, George wanted to be uh, up in Marin County, closer to where he was living, uh, make it easier on him, and also gave him the opportunity to have his own effects facility. Built from scratch. So, using people like myself and others who had, most of whom had worked on the original Star Wars, not all of them, because it was three years in between, and other people sometimes go and work on other movies. I happened to be available, and um, I just finished working on The Black Hole, so then I, I got to work on Empire Strikes Back. And it it was it was amazing. It was a lot of pressure cause, because George also felt the pressure. Some people are saying, "Well, the first one's a fluke. You can't you can't do better than the first one." And I felt that, you know, but there was a great deal of determination by everybody involved. Is we're we're going to prove <laughs> that it wasn't a fluke. We're really good, but let's not, let's not go overboard here in getting overconfident. And also, oh, by the way, this is going to be much bigger visually. You don't do blue screen behind cockpits in snow. It's a, it's a no-no, you know, do that because snow is white and it, it can be extra difficult degree of difficulty is many times more than star Wars. It was great fun. I loved it in many ways. I loved work. Well, I've loved working on a lot of films, but it was such a positive atmosphere. It was not easy. And when I look at the film again, the fact I ran it the other day, it's almost perfect in, in every way from story, from performances to plot twists. I mean, you can't beat the final thing, uh, which nobody saw coming, and that's what makes it so good. And I just, I really enjoy that the matte paintings hold up very well. In fact, I like them in most cases, not all, most cases better than the special edition. You know, sometimes you just don't mess with working. Leave it alone. Don't do that.
0: Oh, 100%. 100% especially when it's works of art like yeah. like you and the team that you worked with put together. I mean even my favorite one is the Cloud City Air Shaft, which you worked on that one, right? And it just it makes my yeah. hand hurt looking at it, right? The individual <laughs> points of light all the way down yeah. just is yeah. incredible. Like it is it is a work of art. Um well, so you. one of the one of the team members that you had on on Empire was Ralph McCory, um yeah. who Defined initially what what Star Wars looks like. Yeah. What was it like working with Ralph on on this medium and kind of working together to make the the on screen effects of Star Wars happen?
1: Well, if there if there were to be a MVP for Star Wars, it would have to be Ralph McQuarrie.
0: One hundred percent. One hundred percent.
1: Oh <laughs> man, the guy the guy the guy had it all. He he understood so much about the universe, kind of more than George. In a sense, and I'm not minimizing George or and his genius, but to have the pleasure of by by post-production, there was nothing really left for Ralph to do, and he, but he wanted to, he wanted to stay around. So George had the genius idea of well, why don't you go work in the in the mat department? So I didn't hire him. I was blessed by having Ralph there because I came a little bit late to the to the game because I'd been working on the black hole, and he and I worked in the in the same room, same space for the rest of the show, and wow. I got to know Ralph McQuarrie really, really well. Not only as an artist, and I had such great admiration for him. But, as a person, one of the most genuine, nicest people I've ever known, and it just was great fun i I couldn't wait to get into work with with Ralph and you know we wouldn't talk all the time sometimes you're actually doing some work, but we talk about life and things other than Star Wars and movies and family and I'm I'm blessed for having the association with Ralph McQuarrie. I really am.
0: I would love to talk briefly just about some specific shots from Empire, especially one of the ones that really stands out is the the famous Slave One shot on the landing platform. What are the challenges of creating maybe landscape shots versus shots that involve vehicles versus backgrounds? What kind of goes into your design process to make sure that the image on screen looks realistic and looks believable when put next to a model or a real-life object?
1: That's a that's a tough one to answer, but I'll, I'll tell you the process, and, and maybe you can understand what I'm talking about then. The slave one designed by Nilo Rodas and Ralph, but Nilo really was the guy who just came up with it and you know he and joe johnston there would be no empire strikes back with i mean again the dream team these are people who could do anything everything and do it extremely well so the model makers uh had uh slave one nilo had done some of the final painting on it and made it look you know and so joe i i thought you know and i'd use this trick before, sometimes a success, sometimes not. But I thought, well, I'm not going to paint it. So we took it outside, and I took a photograph of it with a Hasselblad, I can't remember the details, of the model outside in the cross light, the setting sun, because it, that's what it was supposed to be. You know, South City was all well, to be bathed in magic hour look. Then I I went and I got a, th- that photograph blown up and pasted it onto a piece of glass.
2: Wow. Then
1: just went in and kind of fussed with it a little bit. I painted the landing platform from scratch, put the photo on, and then I also cut out the cockpit because the photograph would show the background. So I cut out the cockpit and then airbrushed a little bit and put the highlight in. It, it sounds like a logical thing to do, but mm-hmm. I was never a slave to doing it the hard way. And you don't get you don't get extra points. You know, people don't come and say, "Wow, gosh, that shot looks looks almost good," but it's, it must have been so hard, so we'll give them a break. No, you don't get a break. <laughs> you either make it perfect and you don't get... It's not like a diving competition. You don't multiply it times the degrees of difficulty. Make it easy on yourself, because you've got another 84 shots you've got to be working on as well. So
0: <laughs> There's a lot more to worry about.
1: Yeah, there's plenty of time, and the more time you spend on one shot, the less time you're taking away from the other 84. So you don't, you don't want to be... You've got to s- spread it out. Yes, you can get more people to come help you, but there were only, how many of us? There was Michael Pangrazio, who was also doing backgrounds for the miniature walkers mm-hmm. and things like that, and then Ralph. And so there are three of us in six, seven months, which now, even the special edition, they have 12 people do what three did. Well, well moving from Star Wars,
0: Star Wars is, is one shining part of what is... An incredible career. And what I want to do is, at least for the listeners to understand just the amount of projects you've worked on that are just kind of standouts in their own right, I'd love to talk just very briefly about a few projects that that caught my eye and that that mean a lot to me. And I'd love to hear if you have a story or anecdote from, from working on that. I would love to kind of hear those.
1: Yeah, sure. I will. I promise to try and make it brief.
0: Well, I mean, if we if we go a little too long and it ends up becoming a Captain EO podcast, then it will end up being a Captain EO podcast. I, I'm fine with that. Okay. Uh, well, first, you, you mentioned it a couple times, but Black Hole. If there's any movie that the matte painting is a star of that movie, it's Black Hole, and and some of the work you did there is is still mind blowing. I'd love to talk about that a little bit and and what that entailed for you.
1: Yeah, I loved. I loved working on the Black Hole. I loved. Because it was was an opportunity to work with my father. And by the time I was working on The Black Hole, I'd already established my own reputation. And so it was a real partnership and trust. And between the two of us, I think, uh, and, and other support people, don't get me wrong, it wasn't just the two of us, but we worked on so much of it the look but some of the details about it and we even you know don't tell the writer's guilt but i, I worked a lot on the story and the studio was very gracious and and the writer was as well I'd, I'd come in and say how about this what do you think of this and you know maybe there's a robot that has a limp <laughs> and that creates a, a mystery and he goes oh yeah that's a good idea okay i'll <laughs> rewrite the pages and there was no there was no resentment there was no conflict and that there were tough tough days where it was difficult so don't get me wrong it wasn't all all easy but it it was quite there were also days we just get the giggles Gary Nelson and my father and myself and we just start laughing about how ridiculous this business is oh my gosh and that's what we loved loved about it I think is you know you still have to you still have to get the you have to get the day as they say you can't you can't just goof off continually uh, and be indulgent because uh, if you if you do that too much then you don't get asked back for the next one or have to be sincere and and hope that there are people that will help you. I loved working with my father.
0: <laughs> that, must, that must have been incredible.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was. It was great.
0: Another Disney standout, especially with, with the special effects work, is, is Tron. And, and Tron has still kind of stood the test of time as, as being one of those breakthrough movies, period. Kind of almost in the same realm as, as Star Wars. What was your role on Tron and, and kind of how did you make that come to life?
1: Tron, gee, every time I think I have a favorite i I, I have another favorite. you know like they' they're like children. I love them all for different it, it would It would be tough not to include Tron. I could almost even put it at the top of the list for its challenge. We didn't know I say this, and I'm not being totally facetious. We didn't know what we were doing.
2: Mm-hmm. There, was,
1: there was, a, you know, thankfully Stephen Lisberger had some incredible ideas. He'd already had really great people come in and do designs and work, and uh, he he was he was not over and above asking Sid Mead to come in and and design it. And when he said, um, "Let's get Sid Mead in here to do," i oh I was given the job of being not only working with Richard Taylor's visual effects, but uh, being associate producer. And I'm thinking, you know, Sid doesn't answer the phone for less than $500,000. I mean, this is not going to work, but it's like, well, call him and see if he's interested. Well, he's doing Blade Runner. He's doing this. He goes, yeah, okay, sounds interesting. Boom. And you, you know, three weeks of Mead is three years of anybody else. And Mobius I mean, no, we can't get Mobius out. Oh, here he is. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> <Gee>. <laughs> and and Peter Lloyd. All those things. Kind of, it became a, 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 just a, such an incredible challenge. Without Bruce Logan saying, "I think we might want to consider not shooting everybody against white, but shoot them against black," and here's why. Without that decision we'd still be shooting the damn movie. And <laughs> we would. It was just the whole idea codeless and it was just it wasn't supposed to work. And it was almost too much of, of a move for people. It was it was ahead of its time. They didn't quite understand the story. Everything's mm-hmm. different and it's We're not reinventing the wheel. We're creating something other than the wheel. It was difficult to describe because I'd I'd go home at night and be, hey, hey honey, how was your day? What did you do? And of course, you just go, well, I'm not quite sure what we did, but I think it's working. (laughs) And it was. And the studio had incredible faith. I don't know how because the budget was at 12 and then it was at 14 and then it was at 16 and then it was and then ron miller's going will this ever end i said well we've got a release date of july i guess that's when it'll end and it's <laughs> crazy and
0: it was it
1: was it was devastating that it didn't do better commercially mm-hmm. but it now is a is a real Milestone,
0: yeah, and I think it really gained a lot of momentum through the years, right? It really found its fans and it's found its yeah its place in history. Yeah, so
1: yeah, the, the, you know, the, the next generations generations discover it and they think right. you know they've found something that they they can own, and it's true. And I think that's what makes it very unique.
0: Uh, one of the one of the fun things I wanted to talk about because uh, it kind of reunited you with with George Lucas was was the Captain EO short film for for the Disney parks. What was your involvement there, and how did you get involved in that project?
1: Same thing. I fell into it. Uh, I, I didn't have to interview for the job. I just I was there at Disney. I think I'd finished working on the, a new ending for Watcher in the Woods or something like that, mm-hmm. and I'd done a, a consulting deal with disney where they said would you consult on this that and another thing and i said sure and and within a week captain eo uh, came along and that was when the new regime of uh, katzenberg and eisner and wells had come in and this was their first what to do you know let's let's think big let's get michael jackson and it was pretty heady stuff and there won't be that many effects because basically it's just an expanded music video, sixteen minutes. Well, so, you know, and, and, and oh, by the way, it's in three D. Oh, okay. So there was there, the effects in three D, which I, I said to Francis Coppola when I, I first met him. I said, Francis, I have to tell you, I have never worked on uh, on a three D film. So I'm not sure if I'm the right choice. He goes, eh, neither have I. Don't worry about it. We'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> <I> go, okay. <laughs> well, if you're going to fake it, I guess I might as well fake it, too. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be, uh, you know, only take a, a few months, and it ended up taking 18 months.
0: Wow.
1: It was difficult. It was difficult. Michael Jackson was a class act. Never complained. Happy to come back for reshoots. Never a diva. Pretty amazing. Looked good.
0: Yeah, looked looked great. And it was just, it's fun and it's nice having three, you know, forces like that, Coppola and Lucas and, and Michael Jackson working together for something completely unique. And so.
1: Oh, God, what a pleasure. What a pleasure to work with these people, to see genius at work. Man.
0: Well, one of the one of the movies I, I quickly wanted to touch on, just because this weekend um, I was actually at a convention and Mark Pillow, who played Nuclear Man, was there, and so it kind of uh, was Superman Four: uh, Quest for Peace. Uh, what was your What was your role on that movie, and and what, did you get to interact with anybody, or was it mostly post production?
1: Well, for, first I want to say, tell Mark, uh, give him my best. I don't know if he'll remember me. I think he probably will. What a great guy! And had to put up with. Superman four and (laughs) Canon films.
2: Uh Uh,
1: You know, it was, it was a big challenge because so ambitious and then they just cut, kept cutting the budget, cutting the budget, cutting the budget. And I felt extremely frustrated and it was, it was too bad because Chris Reeve is, such a gentleman, such a great guy, so many good and Mark Pillow, same thing. And they I they never they never bad-mouthed anything or anybody and they just showed up and they did it. And okay, what do you need? Here we go. It was painful. It was difficult. It was just tough because you know, at one point they were gonna fly around the world and then, uh oh, no, they're not going to fly around the world. We can't afford going around the world. So they'll just fly over the United States. Well, that's sexy. Uh, why are they just flying over the United States? I don't know. It doesn't matter. you know. <laughs> uh-huh. There were constant, uh, you know, to give Sidney Fury, who's directed one of the greatest movies of my, you know, college days, The Ipcrest File, to tie his hands like that was just so not not nice and i and i remember talking to him and saying well why do they fall off the empire state building how does that does that happen that they have a fight he he came in the morning we were shooting it and he said i've got the line okay well, what's the line first i have fun Uh, so when what gene hackman says kill superman which shouldn't be a big problem just kill him uh, no first i have fun oh, okay good
2: because <laughs> <laughs> we don't
1: want the movie to be over now <laughs> and we would laugh about that but there you go
0: one of your Biggest contributions to, to filmmaking was kind of heading the Buena Vista visual effects department. And I would love to hear some stories from there or even how that, that began and, and your work with that and some of the films you, you had a hand in.
1: Well, my favorite films uh, that we worked on at, at Buena Vista visual effects, w- w- which, uh, by the way, I got because uh, I'd come in and helped out Dick Tracy, which was in deep trouble and ironically just been fired off of Ghost. Within a week, the phone rang and said, would you be interested? So I went over to Dick Tracy, and that was a really great experience to to work on a film that was so visually amazing. And then for some reason, and I'll never quite understand, when Dick Tracy was done, everybody was ready to get rid of Buena Vista visual effects. Group, as it was called at the time, and wanted to shut it down. The only person who didn't want to shut it down was Jeffrey Katzenberg. And the reason why was that he wanted to have an effects facility that would be in competition with ILM because he felt ILM was charging too much money because they didn't have any competition. And so we became the competitor. And so I often said, well, I don't know if working at Vista Visual Effects that I decided to drop the group thing was uh, reward or punishment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we decided, you know, I, I had a kind of a carte blanche to re- remake it, but it wasn't really, it was just reorganization because of the optical department, the mat department. And, you know, we were we were going over into into the digital realm which i was very enthusiastic about and able to leverage the the work that had been done for feature animation
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, make that work through the auspices of the software group at pixar into make it work for for live action so that was just wonderful stuff and after about 4 years the people at Disney, by then, Katzenberg had left. Everybody, so we had nobody looking after us, really. And they wanted to shut us down. And I said, I said no, you can't. We're working on two films for Paramount.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, why are you doing that? I said, because Disney wasn't giving us any work. And I passed this by legal. And so there's a contract Mm-hmm. So you can't shut us down. <laughs> so it was, and those two films were Escape, Escape from LA, and The Phantom, and it, wow. it was it was just a wonderful experience working working for Paramount. Mm-hmm. They treated us respect. They were happy. There's John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter. You know Deborah Hill. Boy, may she rest in peace. Just really positive positive things. That is so. It, it 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 ended on a very positive note. And by the time my contract was up and we'd finished working on those shows, it was time for Buena Vista Visual Effects to go away. And so we had a big party and we went away and everybody there has gone on to other places and a lot of people have achieved all sorts of wonderful successes and Academy Awards and awards and started their own effects places. So... I feel very, uh, very happy about it. No regrets.
0: Well, you said you love John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter. Escape from LA is is just a, a treat, really. If you can have Kurt Russell doing anything, I, I love that. It's Snake, so.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. What a, what a what a crazy crazy movie. But it's supposed to be that, and and just wonderful effects. We got to do great, you know. Miniature work, the, the earthquake at the beginning of mm-hmm. Escape is just really fun, mm-hmm. and seeing that CGI of the of the hotel downtown the Bonaventure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a, i just I wasn't the supervisor on that stuff. I was just head of the Buena Vista Visual Effects, and I would go to dailies and look at stuff and go, "This is great."
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: I mean just the shot of of the explosion at at Union Station, mm-hmm. what a great shot shooting that miniature was fun, yeah, if you can't blow things up, then what's the point?
0: <laughs> That's a good motto yeah. That's, yeah
1: although you have to be very careful yeah and thank heavens for people like Joe Viscosel. safety is safety is most important
0: I don't want to keep you too long, and I'd love to talk about what you've been working on now um Ellenshaw.com has some incredible art that was. I, I was looking at the, you have the okay. Slave One painting, and I was like, Oh well, I mean, I could, I could, I could buy that. Uh, so I'd love to talk about what you're doing. What you're doing
1: now? I'm writing my memoirs, mm-hmm. which will, you know, may get published after I'm dead, because so many people will probably be pissed off. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm still doing painting and uh, just generally enjoying life. I find it. little bit odd being quote unquote Mm semi-retired because I'm more than anything. Yes, I miss the projects. I know that not many people are that fortunate. And so I'm very blessed. And there's a lot of really good people that i worked with. That's not always the way it was.
0: Well, Mr. Ellenshaw, thank you. No, thank you so much. This I, I've been just grinning like an idiot for the past hour, and so uh, this is this has been a real treat, and I really appreciate you taking the time and taking me through what has been an incredible career, and I can't wait to see to see more, and I can't wait to read the memoir. So,
1: okay, well, uh, you will stay in touch, Brandon, and, and thank <laughs> you for the, your insights and your questions i i had as good a time as you did
0: all right well it was an honor uh we'll we'll be in touch absolutely all right be well bye I would just like to thank Mr. Ellenshaw again for really taking the time to talk through some of the classic movies that he's worked on, as well as indulging my Captain EO questions. For more information, go to his website, harrisonelenshaw.com, and to check out his artwork for sale, including some very tempting Star Wars pieces, head over to Ellenshaw.com. Next week is our incredible interview with multi-academy award visual effects legend Richard Edlund, so stay tuned for the five-star review, and may the Force be with you.